0: Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. This weekend, we celebrate Juneteenth, commemorating the emancipation of enslaved African-Americans on June nineteenth, 1865. While it is a step in the right direction that Juneteenth is finally a federal holiday, it seems that lately, as a nation, we've been backsliding a bit. We need only look at the many state bills and recently passed laws prohibiting the teaching of US history and race relations to our children. To understand this, on the one hand, we have a federal holiday celebrating the end of slavery, but on the other, state laws prohibiting teaching our children about our history and how it continues to inform and form us today. I've been thinking about this tension and wondering, how can we resist systemic, social, political, and economic injustice and not burn out when things seemingly don't change or don't change fast enough or even get worse? After all, the roots of inequality and injustice reach all the way back to the very founding of the American colonies. America was built on the appropriation of native lands, the genocide of first peoples, the enslavement of Africans, and the exploitation of the labor class. Despite all the national gnashing of teeth over critical race theory, historical facts are just that, facts. And until we understand our past, it's impossible to move forward. Now, it would be comforting if as Unitarian Universalists, we could look back at our past and see that we have always been champions of abolition, social justice, and racial equality. But we can't. It's just not true. The first minister of our congregation, Reverend John Moorhead, was a slaveholder himself. His slave, Scipio, was an artist whose famous portrait of Phyllis Wheatley appears in the frontispiece of her book, of poetry. And upon Reverend Moorhead's death, Scipio was not freed, but he was auctioned off under the Liberty Tree next to the Boston Common. This was the last known public slave auction held within the city of Boston. And it was a Unitarian senator from Massachusetts, Daniel Webster, who drafted the Fugitive Slave Law in the 1850s, that required escaped slaves who were captured, even in the free states, be returned to their masters. President Fillmore, another Unitarian, signed it into law. And Unitarian George Ticknock Curtis, who was Boston's slave commissioner, charged with returning slaves, was a member of the Federal Street Church, later known as Arlington Street Church. At First Church in Belmont, where I just completed a one-year ministerial internship, the congregation is educating itself about its own past. That the church was built and financed by the Atkins family of Boston and Belmont, who owned and operated vast plantations in Cuba. The Atkins operated their sugar plantations on enslaved labor, until 1886, when slavery was finally abolished in Cuba, more than 20 years after slavery was abolished in the United States. Welcome to our checkered past. As we sit here today gathered in worship, our history continues to form and inform us. The past is always with us, sometimes hidden, sometimes in plain view, but always continuing to shape us. While things may look different now than they did say 100 or 200 years ago, still Native Americans and the descendants of enslaved Africans live on the margins. In Massachusetts, the wealth gap is unfathomably high. As of November 4th, 2022, the median net worth of black families in Massachusetts was $8. And that of their white counterparts was $247,500. In other words, when black families add up all the value of their assets and then subtract the money that they owe, they have about enough for a McDonald's Happy Meal while their white counterparts have almost a quarter of a million dollars. The inequality is staggering here, today, in Massachusetts. So what can we do to change this? How can we move this towering mountain that we call the United States of America A mountain created out of centuries of self perpetuating inequality without being crushed under its weight in the process. There is an underlying tension in this question between the concepts of resistance and acceptance. On the one hand, we are called to resist injustice, while on the other, We are called to practice acceptance, in Buddhist terms to remain present in the here and now. What sort of Jedi mind trick can allow us to resist, to fight the good fight, and somehow at the same time remain present and practice acceptance? Especially when things don't seem to get better or even get worse. Logic would tell us that we need to be mindful not to confuse what we are called to resist with what we are called to accept. To illustrate, while we are called to resist attempts to restrict voting rights, the focus of our practice of acceptance is not on the often disappointing results of our efforts, but on an underlying truth. From Reverend Theodore Parker and the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, we know the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. As long as we don't confuse the disappointing results of our good efforts with that which we are called to accept, we can continue to resist injustice, knowing that the results of our actions will be uneven, accepting that it may take years to move that mountain just a fraction of an inch. I'm thinking of the butterfly effect. You know it. It holds that the flapping wings of a butterfly can cause ripples in the air and then the water, causing dramatic changes down the line in weather patterns. As a congregation, And as a denomination, how might we engage with our checkered past, acknowledging that we are the beneficiaries of a troubling history of white privilege and structural racism? What might we be called to accept? What changes for the better in the larger world might we set in motion? How do we inhabit that liminal space between resistance and acceptance. While logic is helpful in keeping our terms clear, it's not sufficient. For we humans are only partly logical. At some point, logic fails. It always does. We find ourselves trapped in some dystopian, dysfunctional, long day's journey into night unable to figure out whether to zig or zag. The Trump presidency was like this for many. And the election season is upon us again. When we are stuck somewhere in that nowhere land between resistance and acceptance, flailing about, uncertain of what is actually happening, uncertain how to fight the good fight, uncertain how to move that mountain, Where can we turn? When logic fails and confusion reigns, we can make a turn to the philosophical. The Greek Stoic philosopher Epictetus advised that if we want our lives to go well, do not seek to have events happen as you want them to, but instead want them to happen as they do. To be clear, Epictetus is not claiming that if we simply adopt this attitude of wanting things to happen as they do, that somehow things in the world will magically start going the way we want them to. No, not at all. Epictetus, rather, is arguing for the adoption of an acceptance mindset, a surrender of sorts, an acknowledgement that the results of our good efforts are beyond our control. Realizing this, we can take a deep breath, assess and accept the immediate results of our actions, and then figure out what's the next right thing to do. As a congregation and as a denomination, what would it look like if we were to fully engage with our checkered past? Could we check our desired outcomes at the door and live into the question as a community, wanting things to turn out as they do, not as we might otherwise have wanted them to? What might we discover about ourselves as individuals and about our spiritual community as a whole? The answers can only be found in studying our history and having the conversation. As a wise life coach once said to me, the conversation is the relationship. The conversation is the relationship. Now, remaining logical and adopting a stoic attitude requires a lot of effort, and sometimes I feel totally overwhelmed that my efforts and their outcomes are so feeble compared to the forces at play in the world. When logic and philosophy fail, when ego gets in the way, we can make a turn toward faith and pray. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So wrote American theologian Reinhold Niebuhr in 1933. His famous serenity prayer can help us whenever we find ourselves trapped somewhere between resistance and acceptance. When we usefully employ logic and philosophy to help us navigate this place, we make appeal to disciplines of human knowledge. But when we reach out to God, to a higher power, to the universe, or to whatever we conceive of as larger than ourselves, we transcend the human plane, stretching out and upwards towards the beyond. We place ourselves in the hands of something greater than ourselves, relying on faith, on the belief that something better is possible even when the evidence is scant, we can move back into action. My prayer life is not particularly well-developed. In fact, the serenity prayer is my go-to in most all circumstances. It's what they call an arrow prayer, one that is deliberately short, easy to memorize, and demonstrates sincerity in asking for help. These little prayers are like arrows shot up in the sky asking for help. The more directly injustice and inequality touch us, the more likely logic and philosophy will fail us. When this happens, we can make that turn toward faith and toward prayer. And so as a congregation and as a denomination, we come back to our checkered past, to our troubling entanglement with slavery. As a community of faith, what do we feel called to resist and how? What results do we desire? Can we want things to happen as they do and not as we might otherwise have wanted them to? what might we be called to accept? Like the wings of a butterfly, what might we set in motion for the better of the larger world? Beloved spiritual companions, I don't know the answer to these questions. I don't exactly know how to live in that liminal space between resistance and acceptance. But together, I suspect we can discover the answer by taking a deep breath, by making a leap of faith and beginning the conversation. After all, the conversation is the relationship. And when logic and philosophy fail us, when we become confused, not knowing whether we are supposed to be resisting or accepting, we turn to faith and we pray. God, grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, the courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. May it be so. Blessed be. Amen. And now for our benediction, I invite you to put your hands over your heart in namaste. I bow to the divine in you. Our closing words this morning are from poet Robert Frost called Acceptance. When the spent sun throws up its rays on cloud and goes down burning into the gulf below, No voice is heard to cry aloud at what has happened. Birds at least must know it is the change to darkness in the sky. Murmuring something quiet in her breast, one bird begins to close a faded eye. Or, overtaken too far from his nest, hurrying low above the grove, some waif swoops just in time to his remembered tree. At most he thinks, or twitters softly, safe. Now let the night be dark for all of me. Let the night be too dark for me to see into the future. Let what will be, be. Let us keep this faith, beloveds, and pass it on. The service begins when the service ends. Bless your hearts. Amen.